Good morning, church. My name is Phil, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Just three quick reminders before we begin our morning in worship. Today is the 12th day of Lent, and during this 40-day period of time leading up to Holy Week, our church family is taking part in an intentional and extended time with God through prayer and scripture reading. As a reminder, we're reading two chapters a day from our Bible reading plan, as well as gathering on Wednesday nights in the East Worship Center from 7 to 8 p.m. for prayer. And have you picked one family member, one friend, and one coworker to pray for, asking God that they would come to know Christ? It's never too late to start. For more information about our Lent activities, as well as our Holy Week service days and times, check out wheatonbible.org Easter. CareFest is coming up on Saturday, May 14th, and we couldn't be more excited for this annual day where we build bridges of love and compassion into our community. We need project ideas to serve our surrounding communities, neighbors, and our church family members as well. Some have already come in, so thank you for that. In the past, we've done yard work for neighbors and local organizations. We've ministered to nursing home residents and so much more. Go to wheatonbible.org carefest to learn more about our annual CareFest and to suggest a project. Stay tuned for more information about volunteering in the near future. Finally, if you're interested in making Wheaton Bible Church your home, and you should, We'd love to have you come to our new members class on Sunday, March 20th, after the 10.30 a.m. service in Connect Central. For more information and to register, click on membership at wheatonbible.org or reach out to Andy Stahl at astahl at wheatonbible.org. That's all we have for you today. Have a wonderful day worshiping our risen Savior. Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. It's good to see you. Welcome to worship. Would you stand with me here in the room? Welcome. If you are joining us online, we pray the service is a blessing to you as well. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Let's worship King Jesus together.
This morning, our service is about evangelism, and uh, we have a special guest with us today. His name is Peter Kadam, and he is our resident at Wheaton Bible Church, professional pianist from Egypt. Some of you remember from him, he's part of the air group that meets here, and um, we're glad that he's here this morning. And I thought it would be great to uh, hear a little bit more of his story. As we talk about evangelism, Peter has a, a very specific way that he is sharing the gospel um, using his own gifts and where God has put him both in Egypt and then now. So I thought it'd be great for you all to hear that story. Peter grew up in a Christian home in Egypt, correct? Yes. Yes. And um, then he, uh, as he became, uh, grew and became very good at the piano by someone reaching out to him and teaching him for free, um, he uh, then eventually was playing in many hotels in Egypt, in fancy royal hotels. People who were very important went to these hotels. And can you tell us a little bit about what uh, their people's reaction was? A lot of Muslims. Uh, what was their reaction to your music as you as you played? Yes, actually, I was playing like uh, 50 percent of my music and my programs it was Christian music uh, because I recorded uh, in Egypt five albums of Christians and uh, I continue here it's became like ten albums now mm -hmm. uh, so they feel it's strong music we feel bass when you play this music what's the name of this track how we can get this music and I invite many many Christian uh, Muslims people to come to our uh, church to listen for this music and there is some Kabbalist families who became Christian after this. So as they felt the peace in his music, they're interested, they talk to him, he invites them to church, and then they become Christian. What a beautiful story. Um, so then fast forward to 2010, the president changed, and yes. a lot of the management changed, and the artistic organization that was hiring uh, professional music, musicians said, no, uh, we need to only hire Muslims. And so Peter was feeling like his time was coming to a close in Egypt. So what, what did, did God put on your heart before you left? Yes, uh, God spoke to my heart and he said, like this man, he teaching you when you was nine years, I want you teaching for another people, 1,000 player, you have to live in Egypt before you leave. So I, I composed uh, like a uh, very, very quick course for many states uh, and for everyone for free uh, and now I lived Egypt but there is 1,000 copies of me playing 1,000 copies church. of Peter left in Egypt playing worship music on the piano Christian leading worship in churches church. 1,000 people he left there as a result of his teaching praise the Lord thank you after this God said this is enough I will open the door for you now and uh, I came here to play, I invited in uh, Washington DC to play in some uh, Christian, Arabic Christian conference. And the first day I found someone come to me and he said, uh, he is a big producer there and he said, can I be your producer and be your ma business manager? Uh, and we got in the first months, uh, one hour to play Christian music in Washington radio. They give me a program, it's called uh, Five, Five, Five Live. Uh, we got 10 players there playing every, every day, one, one hour every week, sorry. 
after one year, uh, some uh, big, big channel, Christian channel in California, they called me to do another TV program. So now I don't know how, <laughs> how many thousand play music in over the world, Christian music. So Peter's TV program, it's based on Psalm 33, it's called Play Skillfully. Yeah. or play good, depending yes. on how you want to trans <laughs> translate that. Yes. Um, and uh, it's translated in all sorts of different uh, languages, and he hears from people all over the world. So he continues yeah. to train up worship leaders in Arabic and in all other languages, yeah. just teaching them about music and um, reproducing himself in that way. And it's, it's uh, thousands and thousands of people all over the world. Yes, there's a second season now. It's 104 episodes. Now. 104 episodes. So praise God for what he does in the, in the different ways of our lives that you never would have expected. Never. Never would have expected. So, and, and who knows how many people have come to the Lord because of the way that God has used him. So he's going to play for two songs for us now. Rich and I are going to try to keep up with him. <laughs> and uh, so as he plays, I encourage you to think about how many people because of his willingness to teach and to take on, he's not just a performer, he's a teacher, to take on that. How many people are also doing that this morning in Egypt and countries around the world? How many people are leading worship because of one man's impact? So enjoy some music from Egypt.
Good morning. Would you please bow your heads as we come before the Lord this morning in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in awe of who you are and so thankful for the grace that you have poured out on each of us. Lord, we come to you this morning recognizing that there is a lot of unrest in this world today. We think of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Lord, we pray for the families of both countries whose lives have been turned upside down by this conflict and the lives that have been lost. Lord, we pray that the situation would resolve itself quickly. Lord, we pray that you would guide and guard the lives of the refugees who are fleeing. And Lord, we pray that the countries who are accepting these people would be able to care and to protect them. Lord, we also pray for the men and women who are continuing to serve you as missionaries on the ground during this awful conflict. Lord, we pray that in the midst of this war, that individuals and families who don't know you would come to hear the good news of the gospel and come to know you as both Lord and Savior. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today about the urgency of evangelism through the message that you have given to Pastor Hannibal. We pray this in your most precious and powerful name. Amen. I'd like to ask all of you to stand right now as we give attention and honor to the word of the Lord. Our reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians 5:11 through chapter 6 verse 2. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself, through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You may sit down. All right, good morning, familia. 
For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the pastors here at church, and I wanted to welcome you again, whether you are worshiping with us here in person or you're worshiping with us online. It is always a pleasure and a blessing that you've chosen to worship uh, in, this, in this house together. Uh, for the last few weeks, we have been doing a series called Gospel Culture, in which we are looking into 12 different biblical traits that help us with three things. It helps us define what it means to be a biblical church. Number two, it gives us a blueprint of the things that we need to believe and practice in order for us to uh, experience spiritual renewal. And number three, it gives us the tools necessary in order for us to continue to be faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. Once again, 12 biblical traits that give us three things. A definition of what it means to be a biblical church. It helps us with spiritual renewal. And it, keep in a, and it gives us what is necessary to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. Um, today, we're going to talk about something that for some of us is a really exciting topic. And for some of us is always kind of a, a guilt trip, if you will. So we're going to talk about the urgency of evangelism. Now, this is family, right? And every time I ask that question, you know that I'm going to ask you to do something that feels weird sometimes. So I want you to look at the person next to you and ask the question, how is your evangelistic life? Go ahead. Doesn't that question make you feel a little bit uncomfortable? There's many reasons why people feel uncomfortable with the topic of evangelism. Like, I think that all believers agree that we are called to evangelize. And yet, there's a certain level of hesitation. And what I want to do this morning uh, is to help you process that, embrace that, and tell you that there's nothing weird about evangelism. It might be weird the way we do it, but there's nothing weird about evangelism. We're going to talk about four things this morning. We're going to talk about the mission, the message, the mode, and the motive for evangelism. The, miss, the mission, the message, the mode, and the motive for evangelism. Let's go with the first one, the mission. I, I think that the Bible makes it extremely clear that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are called to share your faith. The part of what it means to become a Christian is that God brings you in and then he sends you out. That part of what it means to be a Christian that is that the Lord uses a centripetal, you could say a centripetal thing and then a centrifugal thing. He brings you in and then he sends you out. This is part of the reason why Jesus says that he tells his disciples and he tells all of us, go and make disciples of all the nations. He brings you in and he sends you out. In other words, to be a Christian is to be on mission. So mission is not one of those things that some people do in other parts of the world. Mission is not one of those things that some people do in other places of our city. Mission is part of what it means to be a Christian. The word mission and Christianity can easily come, uh, could easily be used almost as synonyms. To be a believer is to be on mission. Can you say that? To be a believer is to be on mission. Very good. You guys are doing really well so far. Now, I believe that the Christian mission is much more than sharing the gospel, but it's not less. 
Being a Christian and to be a mission is much more than sharing the gospel. And we have talked about some of that stuff here at church, and we will talk a little bit more. Uh, but it's not less than sharing the gospel. It's, it's, it, part of what it means to be a Christian is be willing to share what you have found or what you have experienced. Now, I want to make the argument that everyone is an evangelist. Everyone in this room, everyone that is worshiping with us online, everyone is an evangelist because it's the most logical and natural thing to do to share with others when you found something that is amazing or beautiful or significant. We all do that. If you have been impacted by a beautiful thing, it is the most natural thing for you to want to share it with others. Whenever, I got plenty of examples with this and I'm not going to waste a lot of time, but if you are a true um, follower of a team, you brag about that team like if there's no tomorrow. You know how I know that? Because you buy the gear with a name on it. You post it online for those of you that like social uh, media. You do something. You invite people into the conversations because there's something natural about bragging the things that you find amazing. If your team is terrible, don't brag about it. This is the sad thing. People brag about even those teams. See, doesn't, doesn't, isn't, isn't it true that when you find true love, the first thing you do is you brag about that love? I mean, that is the most natural, logical thing people would do. We brag about a good deal you found. We bra you brag about some beautiful place you visited. You, you brag about an, an, an amazing experience you had. That's part of what it means to be a human being. We brag about things. So whether we like it or not, we are all evangelists of something. The Bible calls us, though, to be evangelists of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the most natural thing to do when you have found something amazing. I know that the secular mentality says that Christians shouldn't be sharing their faith. And the popular idea is that we shouldn't do this, number one, according to the secular mentality, it's either because all religions are equal and they have the same goal, so why is it that we should bring all this about Christianity? And other people would say, well, but this is not what we're supposed to. We're not supposed to impose their beliefs, our beliefs, on anybody else. And I actually think that the word impose is a negative word. But there's a problem with the secular mentality. The first problem with that mentality is that it assumes, check this out, the only people that says that all religions have the same goal are the non-religious people. All religious people will tell you that not all religions are the same. We contradict one another if that would be the case. So I find it interesting that the secular mentality is imposing that belief on religious people. Now the second thing, why I think this is important, is because the moment someone tells you it is not right for you to share your faith with other people because you are imposing they are evangelizing you with their belief. The reality is that at the end of the day, everyone is sharing something, imposing something, evangelizing about something. For Christians, this is not an option. Sharing the gospel is not an option. So the question we've got to ask is, how does that look like? Or what does it mean to evangelize? 
And I think that this text is a really important text because it gives you all these different words and phrases that explain what evangelism is and what evangelism is not. So I want to prep you for it because if you have been a Christian for a long time, and I mean this with respect, I, I really mean it with respect, but if you have been a Christian for a, for a, for a long time, I'm almost sure that you have already made your mind about what evangelism is and what evangelism is not. So let's, let's allow Paul and the Bible to shape the way we view evangelism. And the first thing that we're going to see in the text is that evangelism is actually about persuasion. Look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 11. It says that we are called to try to persuade others. There's nothing unbiblical about you trying to persuade other people, to try to convince other people that the truth that you have, that the truth that you have experienced is the truth that you want them to receive. Once again, this is the most natural thing that people would do when they find something amazing. To not want to persuade other people of it, that's an issue. So I was having a conversation with my daughter yesterday, and we have a difference of opinion. I don't know if you had ever had that experience with your kids, but... That's my case. We have a different self-opinion about what the Bible says and what the Bible does not say. And then she tells me, Papi, you're trying to persuade me. And I said, you bet I am. <laughs> two reasons. One, because I'm a father. And two, because that's my Bible. There's nothing wrong. Evangelism is trying to persuade people that what you believe is true. In chapter 5, verse 18, it says that evangelism is the ministry and the message of reconciliation. Chapter 5, verse 18 says, all this is from God. Notice that this is God's idea. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And verse 19 says, and he has committed, us, committed to us the message of reconciliation. Notice that it doesn't say that for you to share your faith is just a good idea. It says that the Lord gave us this call. He has committed us to do this call. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation to proclaim the message of reconciliation. Now, I want you to pay attention there for a second. And this is why I, I think I'm going to be stepping on people's toes for a, for a little bit. Notice that the text doesn't say that evangelism is about presenting Jesus as a friend. Jesus is a friend, but he's more than a friend. Notice that the text doesn't say that we got to present Jesus as a problem solver. Jesus is a problem solver, but he's more than that. Notice that the text doesn't say that we present Jesus as, as a divine vending machine, meaning that he gives you, you what you want. Jesus does that. He gives you more than what you want. Actually, he gives you the stuff that you didn't even know you wanted. No, 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 no. The Bible does not say that that's how we proclaim Jesus and present Jesus. The Bible shows us that evangelism is about proclaiming and declaring that Jesus came to reconcile us to God. To fix what was broken. Not to improve what was already good. Evangelism is not about sharing some good stuff about God so people come to him. It's about the reconciliation found in Jesus Christ. 
Paul is going to say that evangelism is the act of being Christ ambassadors to appeal and to implore. We see that in chapter 5, verse 20. It says, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The word ambassador means that you speak and represent someone of a higher status than you. As ambassadors, we have delegated authority from God to represent him here, to speak on behalf, on behalf of him. Paul is going to say that evangelism is the act of co-working with God to urge people to believe. Chapter 6, verse 1. He says that we are God co-workers, and we urge people to, receive, to not receive God's grace in vain. You know, I love the term co-working. You know, it's a term that is a little bit conflicting to some people because it seems to be saying that God does his part and we do our part. But that if God doesn't do his part or we don't do our part, nothing is going to happen. I hope you know that that's not what the Bible talks about. Actually, one of the things that we talk about here in the church very often is that we do believe in the sovereignty of God and in human responsibility. That God is sovereign in the fact that he's going to do what he wants to do when he, whenever he wants to do it and however he wants to do it. No one can stop God for what he wants to do. But at the same time, we believe that the Bible calls us to do the things that we're supposed to do. How do these two things come together? I always give you the most theological answer I can give you. I don't know. And it doesn't matter. We hold these two truths together. We don't have to try to figure them out. All I know is that we cannot separate them. Even Spurgeon said, why try to separate two friends? So Paul, in all these verses, makes it extremely clear that part of our mission, that part of what it means to be a Christian, is to be on mission to try to convert people to Jesus. That part of our mission is to do everything in our power for people, for people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. He tells, us, he tells us that evangelism is about one thing and one thing only. And I want you to listen up really well. The proclamation of the gospel. It's an invitation for people to believe. That's it. That is evangelism. Persuasion, sharing the message, appealing to people, imploring, urging people. Urging, ur urgency. Urging people to believe. Well, here's a part that I want you to understand. A key word in all of that is the word Invitation. Not forcing people into believing. It's to present the gospel and invite people to believe. This is why chapter 6, verse 2, it says this. We ought to tell people, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. But it's only an invitation, church. It's only an invitation. You know why this is only an invitation? 
Because you and I don't have the power to convert anybody. That's where I think that many of us struggle. We actually believe that we have the power to convert people. Our job is to proclaim and to invite. Let me say it again. We do not have the power to convert anybody. And you know that that is true if you are a parent. Our power is this big. We don't have the power to change people's hearts. Only God can do that. This is why J.I. Packer said that evangelism is man's work, but the giving of faith is God's. Your job and my job is to be faithful in the proclamation of the gospel and the invitation of the gospel. This misunderstanding, in my opinion, is what has caused a lot of Christians to not evangelize or to evangelize wrong somehow. Either people have believed, and people, some, either there are some people that don't understand that this is part of what it means to be on mission, evangelism, or people believe that we're supposed to produce results. And this is where I know I'm, I'm saying something that it might be offensive to some. My job is not to force people into belief. God is not going to hold me accountable based on what happens after I proclaim the gospel. God calls me and calls you to just proclaim and invite. The product belongs to God. But there's a whole group of people that actually have even walked away from this idea of proclamation and invitation. There was a study done by the Barna Group in 1993 in which says that almost 30 years ago, 30 years ago, a nine out of 10 Christians agreed that every Christian had the responsibility to share their faith, 89% of the Christian population. Today, only two-thirds. 64% of the population, Christian population believes that we should share our gospel. 25-point drop. I actually believe that the um, younger Christians are struggling with this even more. Practicing younger Christians. Because as the culture continues to say that we're not supposed to, quote-unquote, impose our beliefs on people, and once again, I actually think that the word impose is a negative word. Because we're not called here to impose anybody, but we are here to call, to urge, to invite, to persuade. So the same study says, Barna, that nearly half of the millennial practicing Christians say that it is wrong to evangelize. Almost 50% of the younger generation believes that it's wrong to evangelize. But I want us to see that the Bible does not give us a break. It calls us to persuade, to share the message, to appeal, to implore, and to urge. Listen up, church. To not, to not do it is not loving why wouldn't you want people to have a saving relationship with Jesus? Why wouldn't you want people to spend eternity with God? But if I go back to the topic about us producing results, <clears throat> I want to argue that because the, some have believed that we have the power to produce results is why people either are intimidated and sharing the gospel or they're afraid that they're going to say something wrong, 
or they have some sort of unjustified guilt. Once again, our call is to faithfully proclaim it. On my side of the family, I would say that about 50% of my family are already believers. Another 50% grew up in Christianity and are not believers. On my wife's side of the family, the numbers are much greater. And I believe before the Lord that we have faithfully proclaimed the gospel in different ways. And we haven't seen results just yet. But this I know. That we are faithful to what the Lord calls us to do. God has to do his part. Whatever that is. And I must rest on that. Your job and my job is to call people to believe. And repent. So this is going to take me to my second point. The message. Uh, remember how I told you that evangelism is not about presenting Jesus as a friend or a problem solver, a divine vending machine? That's because the message of evangelism is nothing less than the reconciliation found in Jesus Christ. And Paul makes this case super clear in four different sections. So, for example, in verses 14 and 15, he says that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In verse 18, he says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, he says, That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting his people's sins against them. And in verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The best way I can, best way I can summarize what Paul says here is with this phrase. Jesus lived, lived the life uh, Jesus lived the life that no one has lived. He died the death that we all deserve. He resurrected to give us what we don't deserve. And he calls us to surrender our lives to him. Life, death, resurrection, surrender. That is the gospel message. As simple as that. There are other gospel conversations. You can share the gospel. Uh, you can share your personal testimony. You can invite people to church. You can share a book. You can share a, uh, a podcast. You could do any of those things. And nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, this message, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and a call to repentance, is the proclamation of the gospel. Nothing else. This is the message. See, part of the reasons why we got to say that Jesus lived the life that no one has lived is because the text says that he was the one with no sin. If Jesus is not sinless, he does not qualify to be the person that takes our place. Part of the reason why we got to remind people that he died the death that we all deserve is because the text says that he died for all, he became sins for all. He took the punishment we deserved. You know, I found that that thing about us being sinners in need of a Savior is one of the most important things that you've got to proclaim today. Because if you don't believe that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and God's salvation, you don't need Jesus. So one of my favorite quotes by the missionary Jack Miller is this. Cheer up. 
I've used this one here before. You are a worse sinner than you ever dared to imagine. And you are more loved than you ever loved, dared to hope. In my own personal journey, recognizing that I was a worse sinner than I ever dared to imagine was the hardest thing for me to believe. You know why? Because I was a good kid. Horizontally. Like I compare myself to other kids, and I would say, of course I'm good. See, that's part of the problem with us. Our comparison is usually this way. And it's so easy to um, fool ourselves because you, always, you would always pick someone that is worse than you. You would never pick anybody that is better than you. So for me, coming to the realization that I was a really bad person before the Lord was what opened my eyes to see that I needed a Savior. The reason why we got to talk about Jesus resurrected to give us what we don't deserve is because the text says that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because if we don't place our faith in Jesus Christ, we cannot be accepted, we cannot be forgiven, and we cannot be declared righteous. It's a declaration. It's imputation. Jesus, God imputing on us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is why Martin Lloyd-Jones, whenever he wanted to see if someone was a Christian for real, for real, he would ask the question, are you a Christian? And if they would answer, I'm trying to be, he would say, most likely you're not a Christian yet. You know why? Because Christianity, becoming a Christian, is not not about trying to become a Christian. It's about believing and accepting what God already did in Jesus Christ. Period. We have been declared righteous, not trying to become righteous. That's why theologians call the Christian faith repentant faith. This is where the word repentance comes in. Not only we are called to believe, but to surrender. Not only we are called to accept, but to repent. Salvation is that Jesus came to do what you could not do by yourself. Therefore, repent and believe. Conversion requires only one thing. Believing and repenting. That's it. Let me say that again. Conversion requires only two things. To believe and repent. Someone may be asking, well, Hannibal, does that mean that we don't get to say all the stuff that people need to do and all the other things that people need to believe? Of course we have to. But not as a means for salvation. So I want to ask you the question, whenever you think about the gospel, do you actually believe that the gospel is enough? Or do you believe that you got to do something on top of that? See, I I find that to be detrimental to the message of the gospel. When we say, well, you got to believe and repent, and by the way, you got to go to church, and by the way, you got to read the Bible, and by the way, you got to serve, and by the way, you got to give money. That is not the gospel. That's good. That's stuff that we ought to do as Christians, but those are not means to salvation. We are only saved by placing our faith in Christ alone, 
by faith alone, by grace alone. Not grace plus something else. Jesus lived the life that no one has lived. Jesus died the death that we all deserve. Jesus resurrected to give us what we don't deserve. And now he calls us to surrender to him. So we talked about our mission. We talked about the message. And this one is really personal to me. Let's talk about the mode. Obviously, what I mean by mode is I'm going to talk about style and manner and method. And once again, this is where I think I might say something that goes contrary to what you have already accepted as to be the only way. All right, so please bear with me. I think that when we talk about how is it that we evangelize, it's important, and the Bible calls us to understand our times. God is always working. God is always doing something. God is always saving uh, people somehow. But the Bible requires that the church understand their times in order for us to be faithful in evangelism. You know where I get that from? When you, look at, when you look at the Gospels and you look at Jesus and how he evangelized, one thing is extremely clear. He didn't have just one way to evangelize. He approached people in different ways according to their context and their struggles. You know who else did something like that? Paul. Paul always approached people in different ways according to where they were, according to their context. This is the reason why modern-day missiologists, when they call the church to be missional people and evangelizing people, they say that we have to pay attention to today's world. Actually, the recommendation nowadays is that we read three books in the Bible, Daniel, Esther, and Peter, 1 Peter. Because in those books, you learn what it means to be a minority in this world. What do you mean to be exiles in this world? And this is the part that I need the church to understand. We are no longer the majority in this world, especially in this country. We no longer, and actually I'm going to say something even more provocative. I don't think we have ever been a Christian nation. We have had a lot of Christians. But we cannot say that we have been a Christian nation. And what is happening now is that we become less and less and less. And the, world is, and the, and the way the Lord is going to use us to reach more people for Jesus is when, we is when we start understanding that we are the minority that's why persecution ought to be expected. That's why rejection ought to be expected. That's why it takes longer to, for people to become Christians. We are part now of a post-modern world and post-Christian world, especially in this country. I, I, I think that you have to understand that. Because some of the stuff that the Lord used in the past... There, those things are not as effective anymore. Listen, I was thinking about this. I became a Christian during the season in which we had what was called, um, it was a street evangelism. Forgot the name right now. But it was, this was the question. If you die today, where would you go? You guys remember that question? It's a good question, right? 
The problem with that question today, though, is that it assumes so many different things. See, if you go into the secular world and you ask the question, what would happen if you die today? You are assuming, number one, that people believe in God. Number two, that they do care about hell or heaven. You know what's happening today? People don't believe in God and they don't care about hell or heaven. Therefore, that question is not as effective today anymore. And I need you to understand that. Because even when we think that the typical ways of people coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus, like evangelistic events, that is not being used as much anymore. Listen, for me, in my personal journey, inviting people to church takes forever. I have a close friend that is a neighbor. I've been inviting him to come to church for five years. Every time we have a special event, every time it's Easter, Christmas, every time we're going to do something beautiful here, I text him, hey, you should come to church. And he always says, one day. Mm. <laughs> this is our world. Therefore, how we reach people for Jesus must match our times. So if you want to learn about that, that's why you got to pay attention to the missionaries we have around the world. Because all of those guys are already in those places. So last year for Missions Fest, one of the missionaries we have is a missionary that is in Asia. And he was sharing with Tri Village, our Streamwood location. And he was saying how in, a, in, in, in areas of Asia, you have people must belong first before they believe. You know what that means? That they feel welcome and loved first before they believe. In our setting, it's actually the opposite. We want people to believe in order to, be, to belong. Not in a secular society. We must learn how to love people and welcome people without compromising our beliefs in order for them to believe. That's what it means to be an exile. So I want to give you three things that we must practice. We must learn the art of the wonderful persuasion. Chapter 5, verse 11. It says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. And the reason why I'm using the word wonderful is because wonderful is a great translation for the phrase, the fear of the Lord. You know what that means? That for Christians, we must be so captivated by the beauty, of, for the beautiful presence and power of God that we have to share it. These are not seasons in which we can afford to be religious people. We must be captured, arrested, impacted by the beauty of God. Because when you have that, you will be persuaded to persuade others. Martin Lloyd, uh, in an interview that I did for Martin Lloyd-Jones, he says, why did you become a pastor? And his answer was so profound. I just had a good message that I needed to share. That's what it has to be for you and for me. Being religious is not good enough anymore. Number two, the Bible is going to call us to gentle appeal. 520, we are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And look at here, this other one, respectful imploration. 520, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know why I put these two here? Because both, uh, it's one verse, verse 20, but in both uh, times, it says that we represent God. 
We represent Christ, and God speaks through us. You know why that's so important, church? Listen up. Because when you speak, you speak on behalf of God, but you speak with the character of God and the love of God. Gentleness is not just a good idea of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. Even how we share the gospel must reflect the character of God. God does not oppress people into conversion. You know that? God loves people into conversion. So by now, you know that I have issues, personal issues, so pray for me. When I see Christians with a terrible attitude trying to convert people for Jesus. How does that reflect the character of God? We don't have to compromise what we believe. But we don't have to be annoying. We don't have to compromise what we believe. But you don't have to be mean. If you show me a verse where Jesus did that, I'll believe it. You know who Jesus was really harsh uh, with? Religious people. Not, not unbelievers. So I've shared with you before part of my story, right, in which, you know, I came to the saving uh, that when, when, uh, when I was a baby, a couple of years old, um, we were living in a part of Latin America, and, and a couple of American missionaries, that's the reason maybe why I love America and I love you all. A couple of missionaries took my mom in when, she, when I was just a baby. And they welcomed her and they loved her, and I lived with them for my first two years. This is what is interesting. They loved her into conversion. My mom was a single mom with a baby, good-looking baby, by the way. <laughs> a person running from God. And they loved her well. And they loved her into conversion or reconciliation. May the church grant us to be people that know how to love well and be gentle and respectful and to persuade and, and, and to exercise persuasion and all these things, but to do it well. So this is the last point. Why would anybody do that? Why is it that if you're a Christian, this is not an option for you? Listen, maybe you have forgotten that this is part of your call. Or maybe you, were, you had the, the, a misunderstanding of what this means. But I want to show you that the only reason, the primary reason why we have to evangelize is because verse 14 and 17 says this. For Christ, love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. Verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Notice what Paul says. It is because we are convinced ourselves. That Jesus died, that we share. 
And it is because we are convinced ourselves that Christ loved us when he went to the cross that we share. We are, Stephen Brown says, like beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. We are, like somebody else says, a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about somebody. We are, like Jack Miller says, worse sinners than what we ever dared to imagine, and yet we are more loved than we ever dared to hope. Why wouldn't you want to share that with someone? That's why we're praying for people during this season. May the Lord grant us to be people that are not ashamed of the gospel. Because there's power in the gospel. Let's pray. Beautiful Savior. I don't want, I don't want us to do this out of guilt. I don't even want us to feel that, you, that we have to do this in order to be right with you. Lord, I want us to be the church to proclaim the gospel because we have been loved. We have been welcomed. We have been called. And we just want to be like beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Will you please do that to us? Would you, please do, would you please do that in us? And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And we all say. Let's stand and respond to God's word together. Unfinished that drives us to our knees. Underneath that undiminished rebukes our sorrowful ease. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go.
That's what the, the Lord calls us to be, and finish. I just want to give you a quick update. Um, we are so grateful for our church. We are grateful for you and your generosity. We are super encouraged that because of your giving and your generosity, we are being able to invest $10,000 each month to help AWBC missionaries and families living in the, around the Ukraine area, five different nations, actually, I'm super grateful that because of your generosity. We have one thing, that, one thing that is called emergency relief fund in which we could use from time to time to help people in very difficult situations. And this week we were able to send initial emergency grants to WBC partner agencies to deliver food, medical supplies, money for fuel, um, and stuff uh, around the, the, the Ukraine area, recognizing that very soon some of those doors will be closed. Actually, one of our adult communities um, came together and, and collected a, a big generous gift and sent it to missionaries in Romania as well. Um, so we're going to continue to pay attention to that. But I wanted you to know that because of your generosity, the Lord continues to use you. So we not only proclaim and preach and serve here, but we could do it in other places. Amen? So I wanted to continue to do that. So if you're not part of that, if you haven't joined the movement just yet, I want you to go to WheatonBible.org slash give and join us in what the Lord is calling us to do. You could always uh, drop your offering at the end, buy the doors. You're going to find a box. You could deposit your millions there before you leave. Um, 
And we are so grateful for you. Please continue to support the church, both in prayer and financially. And lastly, I want to remind you that we are a praying church. Amen? So if you, if you need us to pray for something, please let us know. Use the QR code, and I guarantee you that someone is going to be praying for you. But if we receive the blessing, it is interesting that this blessing is also a commissioning. We receive the blessing, we come in to be sent out. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, have a blessed day. We love you. You are sent.